Welcome to Turn a Page, the official comic book club for Nerd Initiative. Each week, the NI Bullpen will be covering the world of comics, talking to creators, deep diving into some fantastic stories, and much more. Now let's hand it over to the team and turn a page. What is going on, everyone? It is Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and you are tuned into Nerd Initiative YouTube for another edition of Nerd Initiative Presents Turn a Page, the official comic book club kicking off your new comic book day. What is going on? My name is Ken M. You know me as the host of the ODPH podcast. I'm also Nerd Initiative's comics editor-in-chief. Joining us on the Zoom call, you know her as one half of the pop culture connoisseurs, so to speak. No, no, no. It's one half of the dynamic duo that brings you all the pop culture knowledge that you need with a beverage in hand. Please welcome back to the show the one and only Lauren. Thank you very much. That was the most enthusiastic intro I've ever had. I really appreciate it. So yeah, um, I'm filling in for Matt tonight, who's the other half of Hops Geek News, and I'm super excited to be here and talk some comic books, especially with Thunderbolts. I really don't know much about them, so I was excited to learn a little bit about them because obviously we're going to see them in the MCU soon. Absolutely. So thanks for having me. Hey, oh, anytime you want to swing through, Lauren, you know you're always welcome. And joining us in studio to my left, your right, I try doing his intro because it's so familiar. That's why I usually just go into the pop culture connoisseur, but I just let him take it away himself. <laughs> yeah, I'm an actor live and direct straight from a folding chair in the ODPH studio. My name's Off the Cuff Tom, Nerd Initiative's pop culture connoisseur. Lauren, thank you for joining us. And Ken, it is always a pleasure. Well, thank you for swinging through. And this is a big edition of Turn a Page 2 because we have a very, very cool series dropping tomorrow at the comic shops. And that is Thunderbolts number one by Jackson Lansing, Colin Kelly, and Geraldo Borges. A fantastic creative team right here. And this is going to be the new series from Marvel Comics that fans are definitely going to be talking about. It's going to be kicking off the Nerd Initiative New Comic Book Day reviews. And when we're kind of going over books to cover this week, I figured let's take a trip back in time and really go into the history of the Thunderbolts. Because much like Lauren alluded to, you're going to be hearing a lot more about the Thunderbolts in 2024. Not only do they have a great new series coming from Marvel Comics, but they are slated for a big presence in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Breadcrumbs are already there. Yes, they are, and they planned them so, so well. We do know there's a feature film on the way, and I'm sure that we're going to see a member or two pop in here and there between the Disney Plus shows and some other projects as well. But like I say, with Thunderbolts on the horizon, and like I say, barring the, any scheduling snafus that might happen, because obviously everything's going to reset since the strike is over, they're going to be a force to deal with. But if you don't know the story behind the Thunderbolts, you really need to know about it, because the first incarnation of this team really catapulted this brand into the stratosphere. And in my opinion, this was the last great comic reveal not ruined by the internet. Ah, because I was surprised. It, Blew my mind yeah. today. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It, like I said, Lauren, you've never read this before. Tom, before we even brought this up, have you ever read this series? I haven't read it, but I, I'm well-versed in, in who the Thunderbolts are. But I'm just, I'm reeling what you just said. Like, that was probably the last big reveal. Oh, absolutely. Give me a minute. I'm, I'm verklempt. I remember <laughs> going into the comic shop and picking up issue number one. Because we already had known about the Thunderbolts because they had appeared in, in an issue of Incredible Hulk 449, Peter David Mike Diotto on the artwork. And 
they made an appearance there, and if you go back and read that issue, you can kind of you can kind of see some breadcrumbs that are forming there, that kind of tip the hand that something's not right with this team that we all think it is. Because where this team jumps in is there is a void of superheroes in the Marvel's Marvel universe. The Avengers and the Fantastic Four are gone because of the events of Onslaught. Mm-hmm. So there is a big power vacuum going on. So you see this team emerge to fill the void. And it's one that is being very heroic. It's all new characters. There's a certain excitement to it. And like I say, all this team is doing is trying to really fill that void, be symbols of hope. They have this really great message to them. But something just doesn't seem right. And as you're seeing them take on the Hulk, and especially at this time, you have a smart Hulk there as well. That he's allowing himself to get captured because he thinks these heroes don't know what they're doing, and he's just waiting for them all to get together before he takes them out, which is truly a Banner Hulk move if I've ever seen one. I was going to say, which iteration of Hulk do we have at this point? You're more versed in this part than we are. Smart Banner, I believe. Okay. It, like, more smarter than not. I mean, Lauren, are you familiar with all the different versions of the Hulk? Not in in depth as you are, but as soon as he, like, said, oh, I was just waiting for all you to get together, I knew that this was not your your basic no, me punch Wolverine in the face kind of Hulk. So yeah. I knew he was more advanced. Yeah. I so he the just... girl at the beginning calling him a flarkhead. I was like, right, what is that? A flarkhead? That was an yeah. insult I had. Yeah, they, they, they kind of go in some different directions this series. But like I say, Peter David's run on, on Hulk is legendary. So to kind of squeeze it in here and introduce these heroes, it's really something that I thought gave him a real big high profile. And especially the panel that's on the screen right now, that you see Hulk even say when he's hearing Meteorite's voice, he's like, you sound familiar. And that's a big nod that we find out later once we get into issue number one of Thunderbolts. Because when we find out who Meteorite really is, you see that there's a lot going on with this team, and you can start kind of piling back to the Avengers and the rest of the MCU there. But you see this amazing cover by Mark Bagley. Kurt Busick is on the uh, writing duties. One of the best to do superhero comics, in my opinion, of all time. And just to really introduce this cover, and Lauren, I'll, I'll go to you first. You're seeing this cover for the first time. What is your thoughts going into this? I think it looked beautiful and amazing, and I'm just pumped for like new characters in the MCU. And after reading this, you know, I already thought the team that they were getting together, it's like, all of these are morally gray people, if not more dark side than light side. And so now... It's it's very exciting to hear the actual origin of it, and it's starting to make a little bit more sense for me. But um, yeah, I was very excited to read it. Tom, how about you, dude? This is '90s prime drawing, like big old barrel chest, overexposure, rippling biceps, not enough pouches. <laughs> we we didn't need pouches here. I wanted a counter for this episode, and there aren't. I, there might be two pouches in all three books we ju- are going to talk tonight. Did you mean pouches like pockets or pouches like tummies? Pouches as, as pockets, like cable. And, okay, you know, yeah, like yeah. Synonymous with the well, late 90s drawing. Gotcha. So you need like the Yelena uh, vest. She's got all the pockets. Yes. I'm all for pockets, yes. Yeah, I, I think at some point for Turn of Page, we're going to do an episode devoted to 90s pouches. I'm in. <laughs> and just break down how many characters had that in the brown leather jackets and you know, just everything that was nineties. Oh, cool. How about we take, how about we get a pickle jar? We take pictures of all these characters, put them in the pickle jar and somebody gets to guess. And we'll do that as a, as, as a giveaway. 
how many pouches are in the jar. Not jelly beans, pouches. We, we can figure something out for that. <laughs> Arts and crafts. I'm all for that insanity. But as the story <laughs> kind of kicks off here, and Chad, definitely let us know what you think about that. Super Chad, if you're out there, definitely make your voice heard as well. We kick off and they give a recap about the fallen heroes, and especially, too, at this time, if you're seeing Iron Man and Thor at this stage, I know the costumes are throwing you off. That was Thor? Okay, I was I was just making sure that was Thor. Yes. Like this really bad Lucha Thor thing got going on here? Yeah, that was when they redid Thor's entire costume. So you have in the picture Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, and the Fantastic Four, and you're hearing the reporter go, they're no longer here, they're gone. And at this time, too, we know that the heroes have been transported to the Heroes Reborn universe. So this is when Rob Liefeld and Jim Lee took over those properties. Captain America and Avengers went to Rob Liefeld's Extreme Studios. Fantastic Four and Iron Man went to Wildstorm under Jim Lee. So they had their own you know, series run and, I mean, obviously buying time until their eventual return to the MCU. Comics universe, that is. So you do see that there is a power void to be had here. And this is where you kind of get the, the lay of the land, so to speak, from the rest of the MCU. And you're starting to see that villains are kind of taken over through the wreckage that is New York City at this time. I mean, and Lauren, when you're seeing this all unfold, too, you're seeing that the Rat Pack, as they're called, is just being scavengers going through the destruction of New York. And you see the emergence of Citizen V. Like, what is the reaction when you're seeing him pop up on screen? Uh, well, right away, I was not familiar with him. And he gave me like Homelander vibes. Uh, maybe it's the the cape. But even later on, Ooh. when he's like, you're the real heroes, I, you know, I was like, maybe Homelander's, you know, maybe that was because obviously in the boys universe, they're mocking all the other comic books. Uh, but seeing him in, you know, it was interesting hearing the negative connotations about the mutants, though they're being called all sorts of names they are clearly at the height of their discrimination at that point. And like hearing that we don't have anybody on call and it just seemed like they were desperate to put superheroes on the payroll and not just have vigilantes and mutants. Um, so I was mm. skeptical, but I was naive. I wasn't skeptical in the sense of like, he has ulterior motives. I was skeptical in the sense of like, who is this guy? Can he really defeat anybody? Yeah. Tom. Oh, I'm just loving the fact that like this this is neat because you know we started this because I'm not the guy who's you know who's only somewhat familiar. So to see this full circle, I'm just enjoying this right now for a second. So thank you, Lauren. Um, so now I see how Ken gets it with me. Uh, but yeah, I I love these designs. I think they're 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 great. They're different. You know, they're again they still evoke that eight that '90s esque overdoneness. Mm -hmm. But Citizen V. I mean, that's yeah, overdone this, you know, just like your eggs. Uh, it, it's it was it's a nice change for it. And, you know, on top of it, you know, having someone who's seen the boys and I haven't. Oh, for you reasons, should. OK, uh, reasons. Yeah, you should. Reasons. Yeah. Um, to to, you know, to have that sort of reference 20 years later, that's pretty freaking cool. Well, that's the whole basics that you kind of see as the story progresses. You have Citizen V, who has ties to Captain America, or claims to you know be a uh, you know a descendant of an ally of his, and really is trying to be the ultimate Boy Scout here and just defend. And does this dramatic introduction for the Thunderbolts here, and this just page by Mark Bagley, who is just like I say, one of the best artists of all time, just really gives that dramatic big fight feel to their entrance and you see atlas techno meteorite mach one and songbird mm. and they all just make that you know superhero pose 
And like Lauren, when you're seeing this, like, do you get the vibe too? Like, okay, they're here. Like, this is you know vintage superheroes. Um, well, my first, my eye went straight to Atlas, and I was like, if Alvin and the Chipmunks was a human superhero, this is the costume he would wear. So I had to get that out of my head first. But it, yeah, sorry, I mean, that's my. No, but uh, you know, it was very over the top, and I think yeah, you're hitting it on the head. It's it's overdoneness. But I mean, yeah, they look like the team. They're just scooping in, but at the same time, it's not a team I'm familiar with. So it looked almost like they were trying too hard. Hmm. Tom. Okay, going off of what she said, like, it's American Gladiators. Mm. Look at Atlas. It's American Gladiators. It's just literally supersized. But Citizen V, great costume design. I mean, this is all the stuff I can get get into later because I can talk our art about of comics all day. Um, it's just, it's an interesting idea because at that point in time, I'm, I'm going back to my teen self thinking, well, that guy's the equivalent to that guy and that guy's the equivalent to that guy and wait who's that mm -hmm. so uh, it's it's nice to be able to you know look look at things through the wayback machine with this um i it's it's just it's really nice i want i'd put it on my wall well, you know, that's what they wanted to go for, especially when you start yeah. dealing with like the Silver Age of Superheroes kind of vibe, which I mean, Busek is known to write for. Astro City is another book that comes right to mind. That you see just that vintage vibe. That vibe right there really reminds me, you know, of the Marvel trading cards when you got to the team cards, like to the yeah. team. Yeah, like that's where I'm at. And they wanted to make that big dramatic, like, here we are, you know, and that you see that moment unfold. And obviously trying to deal with the villains. And they do go through that kind of year one-esque type deal where they're not perfect with dealing with it. But you see the media is coming to, you know, interview them. And much like Lauren touched upon, too, you see Citizen V give that Homelander-esque speech, you know, and just kind of really explain what everybody's doing and give the intro for everybody as well, doing it like a perfect PR job. Oh, yeah. And one other thing about Citizen V that I, that I liked about the scowl on his cow, that his faceplate didn't change like we weren't getting that ocean master how the hell is metal moving on your face vibe it is static mm -hmm. oh yeah and like they touch upon it too like later on it's just like you, once you understand about who he, he truly is it makes so much sense yeah. mm -hmm. but as they start kind of progressing through they do start you know trying to figure out what they're doing and you can kind of get the sense that there's a little bit of an easement and then they come across a team that, if you're a longtime Avengers reader, you do know who they are, and that's the Wrecking Crew. Now, we've seen them appear a little bit in She-Hulk on, Dis on Disney+. And if you know anything about the Wrecking Crew throughout Marvel Comics, they are very synonymous with the Avengers, and especially being part of the Masters of Evil. And especially there's a great story, if you want to go back in, where the Masters of Evil took Avengers Mansion by siege. And you see the Jarvis, the human Jarvis, not what you see on the cinematic universe, is nearly beaten to death. And it's a very serious ser story that gets told, and it really kind of drives home the point about how dangerous these threats are. So to see the Wrecking Crew co here, like for me, this was just perfect introduction story because the Wrecking Crew, all Asgardian uh, powered, if you will, all super you know, human. And this is a true test as they're going after the Statue of Liberty. And as you see the Thunderbolts go in action, Lauren, I mean, how do you think they fared in their first uh, attempt at being a superhero team? Um, I think they did very well considering, but it was interesting to see how, you know, some of them got a little frustrated, like, oh, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Like there's, was it Techno's got like a big ego. So that's obviously mm -hmm. something that, 
can be a, a challenge, but he seems to overcompensate. I mean, they did an amazing job. Uh, I love that when they're like, oh, it's just metal. And the one person's like, no, the Statue of Liberty is more than metal. Like they understood the assignment. And then to see them like, hey, we should fix this too. Like that's something you don't usually see other than like, you know, maybe Stark throwing money at something. So that was uh, yeah. uh, interesting. But I did love the little nod about the the union guy being like, oh, we'll let it slide this time. But next time, you know, that was non-union workers doing that. They weren't supposed to do that. that so that yeah. was cute. But I thought they did really, they are, were actually working together really well considering who they actually mm -hmm. are and considering this is their first time really fighting evil. Yeah. Together. Tom? I've always seen the Wrecking Crew as like a joke team. Mm -hmm. Always like, B league, even a bit C league, you know, C tier, but to see the whooping they, they, they were putting out there, you know, again, we don't know what the Thunderbolts power level are, mm -hmm. but next thing you, you see is just a big, huge friggin' wrecking ball coming through and it, the crowbar and the smashing. And I'm like, okay, they, they held their own. They got some, yeah, they got some nineties steroids, you know, I loved how they yeah, in well, the end I mean, defeated them though. Like, it looked like they had Mysterio helmets on. That was really cool. Dude, and that's where that whole, where you were saying, gray area comes from. Because, you know, you might not see, say, Sue Storm or somebody do that. And, you know, especially nod to um, to, to the young Richards, you know. Uh, it was nice to see him in there. It was nice not, especially with everything going on, Onslaught and his parents being gone and all that. But, yeah, like, that's not something you see every day done by a A-list hero. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the one thing they, they really teetered on, and especially the one thing I really loved about that introduction is you see Atlas at one point get so frustrated yeah. that he just loses control, and, and you see him flick th uh, Wrecking Ball or Thunderball there Thunderball, yeah. completely off the map just because he loses his cool. And you see Techno is getting frustrated with everybody else, and you're seeing that there's only certain ones that are really working together, like Mach 1 and Songbird, who are really paired up well and are really embracing, you know, this heroic side. And you see them working together where Mach 1 shoots the smoke pellets in and Songbird does encase them a la the Invisible Woman. And really that's how they wind up subduing the villains because they're, no, they're the sense that they're out of their league. But you can tell as a reader, as you're, as you're watching the story unfold, like they might be a little unskilled for this just on how we're seeing everything play out. And yeah. then after they wind up getting the big win here, there's a great scene where you see Spider-Man is kind of giving a co-sign to him. The the new warriors are as well. And how about that? The new warriors, like I remember when they came out. If you want to talk about like one of the greatest '90s superhero teams of all time, look at Thrasher. Like I say, Night Thrasher is coming back next year too. Oh man, there's a I'm new in. series. There's a new series coming out by Marvel. Uh, like I say, the new warriors are there as well. And also on the screen, you see Black Widow and how they're all reacting. And Lauren, like when you're watching their co-sign about this, what is going through your head as a reader? Well, it seems like, you know, they're getting the okays of, you know, as soon as I saw Spidey, I was like, okay, Spidey approves. That's good. You could tell Natasha just is at her, you know, she's like, okay, we just lost a lot of people. That's great that there's people stepping up. Um, I'm not too super familiar with the new warriors, so they didn't really do much for me in that moment. Um, but, it, you know. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, 
the emphasis on new. <laughs> but no, I just thought like, oh, okay, they're getting the approval of other people. And obviously at this point, this was before the big reveal. So mm-hmm. in my head, I'm kind of thinking like, oh, okay, I'm surprised they hadn't been bigger in the Marvel comic book universe than if this was, they were getting the okay of, of two big, you know, higher ups. Yeah. Tom? Yeah, I, I look, I mean, you give me Spidey any day, that's my seal of approval. And, you know, that's street level as far as I'm concerned. So if Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man says they're okay in my book, they're okay in my book. I'm just still reeling over the fact that, you know, it's the New Warriors again. Well, you know, the the funny thing about that is, if you know anything about the New Warriors, they came <laughs> out in the early 90s. Yep. And obviously Thunderbolts is the later 90s. And there is that little quip that Speedball does and says, like, we never get this punch press when we came out. Yep. And yeah. it kind of just plays into, like, how the new warriors kind of did their own thing because if you're not familiar with them, they were the version of teen Titans for Marvel, in my opinion, for, you know, from their inception and just for where they went, obviously a lot of different directions after that. That's a that. great analogy. Well, I mean, if, if, like I say, we, we should do that story. I break think we should. At some point, but like we say, where the Thunderbolts come in, especially they're the new kids on the block that they come in and then you get Spider-Man to do this big cosign. Natasha's reaction though, I think is very telling. Because she's not exactly pro, let's talk about them. She's just kind of like still processing everything going on because obviously she's lost some of her best friends with the Avengers. To see them get quote-unquote killed, because that's what the world thinks at this time, Mm -hmm. is still a traumatic deal and seeing somebody else step into the role. She's a little more reserved than I thought would get played out, but it definitely makes sense to the story at hand. And then we start going into arguably the last great comic reveal not ruined by the internet where you see everybody goes back to their base of operations. You're seeing the team is kind of sitting around and then you see this destroyed face. And as you're seeing some of the members, it appears that they have never seen him without his mask on, which I thought was very, very interesting. But you do see that this very familiar character is going to get his traditional mask sock face yeah (laughs) and sure enough we get the big reveal that had everybody at the comic shops talking (gasps) and it's that screen right there and it's baron zemo saying the masters of evil are the thunderbolts baron heinrich zemo the setting yep and you see him break down the fixer is actually techno beetle is actually Mach 1. Screaming Mimi is Songbird. Goliath is Atlas. And Moonstone is Meteorite. And how this all is going to play out. At that moment in time, so Lauren, like you said, this first time you're reading it, like what is your like initial reaction seeing this reveal? I was shocked. I did not see this coming at all. I was, And so the version that I read was I got it on Amazon and it came with like four different comics um, all three were talking about and then another one. So at the beginning, there's like an intro where they're talking about it. And they're like, yes, this was a, such a big surprise. And even when I reread it, it's still such a big surprise. And I'm like, what's a big surprise? And like, I had no clue at all. Um, and going back, like talking about this with you guys, I start to see the foreshadowing, like even the new warriors, we didn't get that kind of press. And you see like how strategic about everything they had been being, you know, that was a little too convenient, a little too fast. Um, but right away when he took his mask off, I'm like, this is like Wade Wilson and the Crypt Keeper had a baby. Like that was, that yeah. was rough. But it, yeah, like it was interesting. Avocado had sex with a, re- with a chihuahua. <laughs> chihuahua is what it was. Oh, Shih Tzu. Older avocado. Oh. 
It's Deadpool, so I mean, it, it could be well, literally no, the, anything. It could have been right. an avocado had sex with Deadpool and you get Heinrich Zemo. <laughs> there you go. Well, in the comic, didn't he say an avocado and a Shih Tzu? Something. Yeah. Yeah, he, I believe he said that. But it goes into just everything you know about Baron Zemo and obviously being a longtime Captain America villain, that his hatred for Cap, he has now found a way to get at him, quote-unquote, beyond the grave. Because not only... He's- is he desecrating one of Cap's allies with Citizen V. He's literally laughing at Cap beyond the grave and saying, I'm going to completely take the people that you love, you know, by force here. We're going to absolutely just manipulate them into loving us, do whatever we want. And you do see this, how this kind of plays out in a certain degree. I love how you brought it up, Lauren, like the boys. That you do see how this power is ultimately corrupting and you see where Zemo is going for the ultimate F you to cap. I mean, as crazy as it sounds, but knowing his hatred for the Avengers, especially with him being the head person behind the masters of evil, like this is just such a next level idea to do. And especially at that time period, because this is before everything got ruined on the internet. I mean, the internet was still just kind of, you know, in its infant stages. It was fledgling. Yeah. But this is one that I I literally remember where I was. Well, I'm sorry, Lauren. What'd you say? No, I was just saying we were still in AOL chat rooms in the 90s. Yeah. ASL check everybody in the chat. Yeah. (laughs) And and like literally, I remember going in the shop and talking with fans and just everybody was like grabbing Thunderbolts and was like, have you read this? Like, read this now. And just everybody's reaction, you just saw their jaws drop and just like, Whoa, like, what is going on here? Because there have been so much hype for the Heroes Reborn. Because obviously, Rob Liefeld returning the Marvel. Jim Lee returning the Marvel. Everybody slept on this book. And when you get this, it was one of the biggest word-of-mouth books I think I've ever seen in comics. Everybody was talking about that we could not wait to get issue number two. And like, okay, where are we going from here? And then lo and behold, you start getting into issue number two. And obviously, with seeing the cover, the Mad Thinker, longtime Fantastic Four villain, mm-hmm. and you see the Thunderbolts are poised to stop him from taking over Reed Richards' Baxter Building, aka Four Freedoms Plaza. And you see how this is all kind of unfolding, and it still kind of just piggybacks off where the origin came to Zemo to take over the team. And you see him watching the defeat of the Avengers and Fantastic Four at the hands of Onslaught and watching this through his eyes gave it even more of a chilling factor too. Like that is the one thing that really stuck out to me with this issue is he's watching the events unfold and he's instantly going, I see an opening and just being ever the opportunist. I mean, that's how it came across to me, Lauren. I don't know what you think about that. Um, I just thought it was, again, it just going to more of like, they were just so manipulative and strategic and yeah, they were willing to do whatever they could. Yeah. Tom, that tracks. Yeah. It's Zemo. I mean, he's, he's the ultimate tactician. You know, if you think about it, there's not many people in Marvel comics that think of a long con and think of a way to make a long con work. Mm -hmm. You know, at some point it's, it's going to blow up in your face, but Zemo is, is definitely of that high-tier, maniacal thought process type character. Well, he's somebody that when he's written well, 
he is on that level of like a Nick Fury. That he's always thinking three steps ahead. Anti Nick Fury. Well, he's well, obviously he's anti. <laughs> I like let's that. About probably the yeah. closest equivalent is he's probably Thrawn of the MCU. I'll make mm. that statement. That he's usually about three or four steps ahead. He's thinking, you know, how can I take my enemy out at this level, and just what pieces do I need to accomplish this? But what always catches him is his ego. That he's so driven to believe that he is the best and nobody can defeat him, it, it plays to his faults. And this is where you kind of see that he's so obsessed with winning and sticking it to the Avengers that he's not really focused as he should be on the rest of his team. Because as they're progressing forward, they do get caught up into the Mad Thinker's plan because they wind up having to be the ones to stop the Super Adaptoid from disrupting a funeral procession for the fallen heroes. Okay, so it was a super adaptoid. I couldn't find exactly where they said the super adaptoid. They didn't, but it's always been associated with them. Okay, because I mean, I usually when I think the super adaptoid, I don't think that head shape. No. Um, and that design. So I I wouldn't be surprised with the super adaptoid. Um, but yeah, okay. I'm glad we were on the same level. Yeah, I mean, Lauren, are you very familiar with the super adaptoid and Mad nope. Thinker? No, I yeah. was not familiar with them at all. When you were saying Super Adaptoid, it took me a second to realize what you're talking about. Because at first I was like, is that Silver Surfer? Oh, that's definitely not Silver Surfer. He's he's the so. Marvel version of Amazo. Yeah. And like I say, he's always, always associated with the Mad Thinker because he's one of his creations. But right. to see it kind of like play out like he did here, like I say, it might have been, the, you know, a real test. And I love how the music went for the classic villains here. That you didn't have just everybody new for this that you really want to establish, okay, you have this brand new team that's posing as the next Avengers, but yet they're not. And just to see how they're different in their styles. I mean, obviously going in there, making a public scene to defend Franklin Richards of all people mm -hmm. and win him over and the trust of the public is just another strategic move by Zemo. And this really starts kind of playing into his ultimate goals However, though, once they, they get another goal accomplished, which they do get the keys to Four Freedoms Plaza. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about everybody else. <laughs> I thought that was way too sudden. I mean, Lauren, tell me if I'm wrong. It did. They were even surprised. They're like, wow, this is really working. Uh, but I mean, they were they had the little kid said yes. Like, what are they going to do? It's like, oh, if the little kid's in, the kid's like, yeah, you saved me. And it, that bubble was just like my mom's. It was like they were, I think that everybody's just still processing the the deaths of all these people that kept them safe. And they're just desperate for new people to keep them safe. Because what do you do without the heroes that you trust and love? And like, mm -hmm. I, I think it's a rebound. They're rebound superheroes. Um, but I, I love though that you compared him to Thrawn, but Thrawn doesn't have the ego. So I feel like that is one thing that, that, you know, Thrawn's ultimate goal is always for the betterment of him and his people. Whereas yeah, Zemo is just revenge. And I feel like that's what makes the bad guys so much fun to sometimes hate is like, that's all they care about is revenge. They're so intelligent and so crazy and just so ego driven. And the ego is always their downfall. Um, yeah. but I mean, this is just going to boost his ego even more watching his plan unfold exactly how he thought it was going to. Yeah. It's a, it's, it a, to. 
it's a crazy scenario to see how it does. But yeah, it's just boosting his ego. But like I say, he's just more caring about like what he can do for himself. And like I say, you are right. That is where he differs from Thrawn because Thrawn is just, you know, a, a very interesting, you know, focus-driven character. Where Zemo is just like wants to take over the world and doesn't care who he steps on on the way to get there. And the fact that he gets this big cosign, I mean, the public in a very short amount of time, and like you touched on it, is looking for rebound heroes to bounce back and have something to believe in that you're seeing just they're saying the right things, they're doing the right work, that all of a sudden the public is fully in love with the Thunderbolts. And to see how this is reacting with the team, I think was just such a cool idea of where things are heading because, Tom, as you see, some are kind of getting swayed by the power of the public, wouldn't you say? First and foremost, I want Baron Zemo to be my social media manager because yeah, you know, right? imagine I would take over the world in about 30 seconds. Two tweets, that's it. But seeing how the team is reacting to this, it's it's really interesting. Um, you know, you take a character like uh, Songbird and you see that she's starting to be less screaming Mimi and she's going to become more Songbird. And, you know, I was saying this before the show, we've gotten an iteration of the Thunderbolts in the Marvel's Avengers Assemble series a few mm -hmm. years ago. So this is where I knew them from. Um, and I'm hearing those characters from the TV series back in my head. And it was really nice to get this, to see the juxtaposition that the characters have. Like, I, I like being good, but yeah, I, I still got, you know, I, I still want to make my, my money. I still want to be conniving and... There, there really is a, a fun dichotomy that they have going on within themselves. And if not personally, you know, it's it's some characters that are way on one side and it's others that are way on the other. And, the you know, the them clashing heads. Well, the one thing that you might not f realize is all the heroes that are on the Thunderbolts have always been like sea level. They've never been household names. Like you don't see them going up against Thor. You know, maybe with the exception of Moonstone, because Moonstone does have a connection with the Hulk, along with Captain Marvel, I believe. So you do have a couple heavy hitters, but for the most part, the Beetle had always been, you know, a Spider-Man sea level. I love the Beetle, man. But like I'm I said, we, we can all love the Beetle, but let's face uh, he's it. He's B, in my book, he's a B-grade guy. But you have to take a look like Screaming Mimi all through the histories. Oh, absolutely. D-class. Yeah. So now you see the public you know, is gravitating towards them. She got a glow up all the way up. Oh yeah. Cause when you start seeing, you know, the throwback picture of what they were to where they are now, it's an upgrade all across the board, mm -hmm. but you're also seeing how, especially at the end of issue two, where Moonstone of all people who is one of the most manipulative uh, characters in all of the MCU, like when she is written well, she is written extremely well is starting to kind of go into the sense of, like, the people love us. I'm I'm kind of liking this. Like, to hear that come out of her head, that was a big moment for me that I'm going, like, wait a sec. We're getting this already swayed by the public? And like I say, you're, you're seeing more, more of the team kind of lean that route. Obviously, some didn't as the series goes on. But just to kind of see how they end with that moment that, at such an early stage, it's like too much too soon. Like that's the kind of opinion I got from it. But like Lauren, would you say that that's kind of the same thing as you're going into the next issue, going like 
they're here, but like, where are we going from here? And, and like, how is it, you know, the, the, the dynamics going to affect each other? Um, I do, you know, I haven't read beyond this. I do think it's going to affect, or the dynamic is going to uh, affect each other, but I feel like it does make sense in because every villain has an origin story. No mm -hmm. villain just like wakes up one day and was like, you know, my parents had a great marriage and they treated me great. And I went to good schools and I was, you know, ate healthy every day. And, you know, now I just want to take over the world. Like they all have a sad, tragic backstory. And I think it's one of those, you know, if you only punish a child and you never reward a child, that's not a lot of times that's not as effective as praising the child. You know, praise can go a long way. So for these villains, this may be the first time ever in their life they've been praised for doing something. So maybe that positive recognition can help them shift and be like, oh, you know, maybe I don't have to be bad just to get attention. It's one of those like, you know, bad attention is attention and that's better than no attention. So I, I think I could see the, the dynamic shifting and I could see it shifting quick because it's all just overwhelming and happening so fast. Yeah. Tom? You know, seeing how things lead to, I'm just going to, uh, you know, drop some more uh, comic book breadcrumbs here. Thunderbolts, they had a change up technically. Issue 175, they had a dark turn. They've had a couple turns here and there. Like, I don't want to spoil too much. But that, that could be another episode down the road. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I could, I could talk about this series all day and the different incarnations this team has gone through. But right from the start... And and he, what a roster that is. Oh, yeah. No, the, the, the difference of where this team goes from where you see it now to down the road. And even in a short amount of time is very, very telling because as you start seeing the story unfold, I mean, ultimately you're going to get to a point where Zemo is on the cusp of winning, but will he truly win or will his ego fall out? Or the argument goes, what happens to the rest of this team? Because you can already start seeing certain members of this squad as we know it want to be heroes and you like i say mach one and songbird probably are the two that stand out from these first two issues mm -hmm. that are just enthralled with the love of the public and the love of each other and each other well, yeah yeah they started they started dancing with the, with their romance too and it's just an interesting dynamic thrown in that zemo doesn't see because every time you watch him within these panels He's not paying attention to everybody else for the most part, unless they're in battle or unless a camera's on him. He's got a sock over his face. What do you expect? <laughs> I expect more fist pumping. We it's didn't probably have not great peripheral vision. Yeah. Well, it's just like with his story about being burnt with adhesive X way back when. And, yeah. and, and you know, like that whole story. <laughs> like I say, it's one of the situations that for him, he's so driven by his own greed that he doesn't see the riches around him. And just what is really happening. So when we get later in the series, and like I say, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody that hasn't read this, because it is well worth the read. A, yeah. a, a certain MCU character, I'll just put it that way, intervenes with this team. And to see what happens when that person intervenes is going to be a real fun moment for both of you if you continue reading the series. And I just remember reading this as it keeps escalating and how Busick and Bagley just work this magic together. Like they, they did some really creative things on this and really took a story that was overlooked by a lot of other elements going on at this time that they really crafted just such a masterpiece 
of vintage storytelling, but really gave it such a modern feel. Like, that's the way I take it. Let's talk about this just for a quick second. So we had everything going on with uh, everything that was going on with Onslaught. When do you think at the table about this up saying, hey, I want to do this anti-hero team or reformed villain team or on and so forth? Like, kudos to, who you know, the original idea of, hey, I want to do this. And when we do do this, the first time we show them up in the Hulk... I want them to already have a logo and the whole nine. Like somebody at Marvel went, if we're going to do this, we're going to ramp this up to 11 and just throw it right out there and see if it sticks. And it's stuck and it still has. Lauren, what's your take on that? Um, I think Zemo probably was something he was scheming all along, just waiting. You know, we talked about the villains having patience. You got to be mm-hmm. intelligent and have patience to be a good villain. So I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it's something he had in the back of his head and, and he just needed the right moment to to do it, and he found it. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I think that when Kurt Busiek pitched this idea, and especially, too, we have to remember, at this time period, the Avengers and Fantastic Four were not the big sellers at Marvel. If you put an X on any book at this time, that was your biggest seller. The X-Men line was huge. The Avengers at this time, in my opinion, were an afterthought. Wait, there were other comics other than X-Men in the 90s? Surprisingly. <laughs> I mean, Spidey was doing okay. I mean, you had McFarlane. Well, no, he, he left early. You, oh. gotta, you have to remember, the time Image started was 1993. Oh, yeah. So there's a four-year window gap going on hmm. that the shift focused away from the Avengers and Fantastic Four. And you started seeing, you know, obviously the X-Men was big money and it still is. I mean, like one of the most popular franchises in all of comics and still doing very well to this day. But it took a while for the Avengers to get back to that prominence. And like I said, with Heroes Reborn, that's a whole different ball of wax because obviously that was a short run. And it was a great one to fill in the gaps because of obviously with the history of the creators involved. But once everybody came back, that was an interesting dynamic, too. And it also led to one of the best Avengers runs of all time, and that's Kurt Busiek and the late George Perez Mm -hmm. taking over the flagship book, which if you haven't read that, that is just on par with this. Just perfect storytelling, perfect superhero storytelling, I should emphasize. But it's just a cool pitch that they ran. It's, It's such a concept. It literally flew under the radar that when you get this reveal, it surprises everybody. Like, nobody sees this coming, even though there are breadcrumbs, as we pointed out. That's just, mm-hmm. that's the beauty of when you tell fantastic storytelling like this. And like I said, if you haven't checked out Kurt Busiek's stuff, yeah, like I say, his Avengers, his Thunderbolts, Astro City, to, to name a few, is amazing. And Mark Bagley, I mean, I, is synonymous with Spider-Man. So wherever you pick his stuff up just is absolutely worthwhile. So we've said a lot of good about this story. Is there anything that anybody didn't like about this story, starting with Lauren? Anything I didn't like? There wasn't anything that stood out in my head that I was like, okay, this is silly. Just the Flarkhead comment was the only thing I thought was ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) I can't really, I mean, I thought it was good for what it was. I did think it was interesting that one scene, it looked like it was the Twin Towers right before they got to the Statue of Liberty. And I wasn't certain, but if it was in the 90s, that would make sense. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, they had a, it looked like the Twin Towers had been hit by a couple of things. I thought that was very interesting. Obviously, that wasn't anything I disliked. It's just, you know, when you watch anything with that in it, 
obviously your mm -hmm. brain goes there. Um, but I don't think there was anything I really didn't like. I thought it was good. I thought it was good. I'm trying to think if I think of anything. All right, like Tom. Um, yeah. I liked it. On the whole, I liked it. Um, the only thing I didn't like was not enough pouches. And I also <laughs> think that... Uh, I'm sorry, man, but I'm just going to See, it's because you're a guy. Fixer. We're used to not having pouches. It's got pockets. I mean, Trust my wedding me, dress has pockets. It was the happiest right? girl in the world that day. Amen to that. So did my wife. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, another thing that I really, really enjoyed was as we were going over the heroes, we also saw classic versions of villains like Ulysses Claw, mm -hmm. old. Old school claw, like purple suit claw with the vibranium. That was nice. Um, but yeah, oh, I think see, I don't know what he looks fixer like slash techno is, is my. Oh yeah, fixer slash techno. His backpack's just is oh, just I... a plot device. He's Deus Ex Machina. I like... Oh hey, I uh, don't have a thing. He's he's literally a walking sonic screwdriver. If you think about it, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry, we were talking Doctor Who earlier. Oh, oh my gosh, of course, with David Tennant out now. I no, love that when Tennant. He definitely was, the... but that, I think. What... Go ahead. You were good. No, go ahead, Lauren. No, go oh, no, I was just going to say go I ahead. liked his beer retrieving robot. That's all I was going to say. Am I frozen? No, we can hear you. This is why we do oh, it live, okay. ladies Sorry. and gentlemen. No, I was just saying I like the beer retrieving robot. Yeah, I mean the yes. the robot that brought the him robot, here. Yeah, yeah, the the robot is just him being him because especially if you want to really break it down, he is the sound wave to Zemo's Megatron, and he is just in his own little world. He's always very loyal, but he is just somebody that is just buying his time, and he's somebody that is he thinks he's on the level of Zemo too, that he doesn't realize like. You're the fixer. All you do is fix things. So, I mean, for me, I I really find a, nothing really wrong with this. Like I say, I couldn't really find something I didn't like. Not enough pouches. I mean, pouches, sure. But, I mean, they didn't have leather coats either. Like I say, if you really want to do the deep dive, they need, they need the whole outfit if you're going to do that. Pouches, leather coats. Um, I know I'm forgetting one other thing, but it doesn't matter. Uh but it goes back to just the vintage storytelling. This is what you get from Busick all the time. And to see him paired with Mark Bagley, who is just such an amazing artist, and just the iconic imagery that you see, like this had that whole bright appeal of hope, especially at the time when you're thinking the Marvel Citizens, you don't have heroes. Now you do. There's this whole new wave of like, okay, it's going to be, everything's going to be okay. And then when you get to that reveal, it's such a mic drop moment that you can't turn away from and you're just like, Oh, like, where are we going from here? So, I mean, for me, this is near perfect to me. So let's cap it off with our grades. Lauren, what do you give a grade for Thunderbolts one and two? Um, I'd give it, I mean, for when and what it is. And I went into it with really no expectations. The only character I was familiar with was Zemo. And I didn't even know he was going to be in it. And, or I didn't know that that was about him. So I'd probably give it a 9 out of 10. All right. Tom? Uh, 
one, I actually, I have to agree. I, I didn't giving know it a that one. Zemo was Citizen V. Yeah. Okay. So I will. I, so that was a big reveal to me. So I will give it uh, also nine pouches out of ten. Nine pouches. This really defines great storytelling. Yeah. And especially to, can't emphasize this enough. This wasn't ruined anywhere. This was really word of mouth. Something was going on with this book. And for its time, it flew completely under the radar. It really gave an interesting twist to what we knew as superheroes, especially in the Heroes Reborn era and post-Onslaught. And just for something not being X-Men related, this really stood out. And once you get to that final page, it really sets the course for one of the most fantastic stories you're going to read for that time period. It still holds up to this day. And even as things progress, and like I say, you're going to see different iterations of the team come through this core group and where they go with it. It's a really fun read. It's really vintage superhero storytelling. It only gets better as it goes because once we have a certain character show up really changes the course of a lot of things. And then where we go from here, like I say, it, it kind of goes up and down depending on what you what you like with your teams. Sometimes, in my opinion, Thunderbolts teeters on the Suicide Squad a little bit in some areas. But for where we're going, especially with that brand new series dropping tomorrow at the comic shops when you hear this on December 6th, this is going to be something absolutely fantastic to check out. Is that the one you're alluding to? No. No? No. No, I'm not. I'm not I don't want to reveal that because maybe we'll talk about that on a future episode. Ah, okay. But for my final grade about this, I'm giving it a 9.5 out of 10. This is near perfect to me. I don't think it's completely perfect just because I think that they kind of sped through a couple areas here and there. And But for the most part, it's, it's about as perfect as you get. So definitely give it a high recommendation to pick up this week on the trade paperbacks or just go to your comic shops and pick up the single issues too. It's definitely worth the deep dive about that. Speaking of comics this week, you know tomorrow is Wednesday as we record. Lauren, what are you talking about this week at the comic shops? Um, I just My review tomorrow will be dropping for The Midnight Show, which is a lot of... Oh, The, the Hunger in the Dusk. This has been my favorite comic that's I've been reading all year. The fourth issue just dropped. Um, this is a fantastic one about orcs and humans. And you have that like generational hate that's been going on. And all of a sudden they have to team up to fight a common enemy, but there's so much more going on and there's constantly twists and turns. Absolutely loving this one. Um, I've reviewed all three of them so far. The fourth drops tomorrow. Definitely check that one out. Uh, the other one I reviewed this week is the midnight show. Started this one in October. It's only on the third issue. Obviously it's fun for Halloween, but classic monsters come all year. It's basically a, a kind of meta classic monster story where the monsters have broken through the screen blazing saddle style and it's a lot of fun and as a horror fan or you always kind of wonder could i beat dracula could i beat this werewolf but there's twists on all the monsters too because they're their own unique monsters so it's a lot of fun and hunger and dusk is really good and midnight show is a lot of fun so those are the two i reviewed and i will be picking up this one we actually had jackson uh and colin on our uh, podcast a few months ago and that's when I started reading their Guardians of the Galaxy run and I've been loving what they're doing with that so I'm excited to see what they do with Thunderbolt so I'll be picking that up tomorrow definitely Tom what are you picking up this week hey Lauren you want to guess what I'm picking up this week oh look it's Ranger <laughs> Academy because <laughs> I'm predictable so uh, issue, issue 3 episode 3 Ranger Academy is going to be uh, dropping tomorrow uh, I am 
I, I wish I could have got issue two out for everybody, be, but I am so glad because I played my catch up. And trust me, uh, with everything going on at the Ranger Academy, you're going to be seeing green. Ooh. That's it. Hmm. Hmm. Definitely have to check that out. Boom Studios doing that. Boom. Uh, Midnight Show is by Dark Horse Comics as well. For me, a uh, couple of them eyeballing. Uh, definitely Thunderbolts by Marvel. Like I say, Hivemind and Geraldo Borges, who, if you have not seen his work and no one, is phenomenal. And I don't know if anybody can really see in the background, too. We, I actually have a print for Thunderbolts signed by Geraldo in the background here. So that is how much I have been excited to check this series out. Too much light. So that'll be dropping on Marvel this week. Uh, and also, one of my favorite series out right now, Energon Universe, is in high gear. Transformers number three. Daniel Warren Johnson. But who's not in gear? Bumblebee. <laughs> no, Bumblebee is definitely not in gear. <laughs> but this has been absolutely amazing. I love the reintroduction of the Autobots and Decepticon War. This has been something that has just been getting better and better with each issue. And with everything going on with the Energon universe, too, there is a lot of amazing things happening. So if you haven't checked that out by Skybound Entertainment, you definitely want to make sure you check that out. And then last but not least for this week... We have to talk a little bit about the Cheersies. So if anybody is not aware, the Cheersies will be taking place on January 2nd, right here on Nerd Initiative, YouTube, social media, wherever you find Nerd Initiative content. And this has been an award show that has definitely been gaining a lot of steam lately, especially on social media. <laughs> Creators are voting. They're sharing this. We love seeing this. We're having one of the biggest voter turnouts in the five years that we've done this. And today was kind of a funny day. I have to give a little peek behind the curtain. Because our good friends over at the Radiant Black Discord existence were messaging left and right that we did not have a certain category up. We did not have one up for best editor. So we, we, we edited the list. <laughs> we did edit the list. We took the, we took the idea. We said, let's do it. So right now... Here is the nominees for best editor for this year's Cheersies. Da, da, da. Leading off the list, Michael Basittle, who you know is the editor, uh, supreme overruler of everything that is the Massiverse Black Market Narrative Image Comics. Will Dennis, Book of Evil by a Thread, Best, Jack best Jacket Press. You see his stuff all over the place. Heather Antos, uh, Star Trek, IDW Publishing. Tom Brevport, Moon Knight, Marvel. He's doing a lot of big things over there. Ben Aberhethy, who does Batman, Green Arrow, DC Comics. Andrew Martino, Blue Beetle at DC. Amanda LaFranco, who does Firepower at Skybound Image Comics. Jordan D. White, Miss Marvel, the New Mutant over at Marvel. Then you have Tom Grunemann, who does Spider-Man, Miles Morales. Mark Plancencia, who does Obi-Wan Kenobi at Marvel. Chris Rosa, Flash, DC Comics. Sean Makowitz and John Jonathan Manning, who does Transformers, Skybound Entertainment, Image Comics. Big C Matthew, who does Void Rival, Skybound Entertainment. Uh, and Brian Cunningham, who does Geiger, Ground Zero, Ghost Machine. And one name's the guy cut off, Romario Portney and Eric Harbound, who does Something is Killing the Children by Boom Studios. Okay. So the ballot is live right now. You can see it over Tom's head. The QR code is live. So definitely make sure you click, click vote often we have unlimited voting because guess what folks this is for you the fans so if you want to vote all day every day go right ahead 
I don't think it takes anything away from the vote because this is for you, the fans. This is something that is celebrating your fandom. So if you're really passionate about your book, make your voice heard each and every day. <laughs> you don't want to do it once and then forget about it. So that's what we like to do here. So that being said, Lauren, thank you for coming on the show. Tell everybody how to find out what's going on with you and everything going on. Hops Geeks News. So we are all about Christmas episodes right now. We did a Christmas monster episode this past week. And uh, next up, we're going to be talking about the elf. And we're going to be talking about Christmas horror movies as well. Um, We also talk a lot of comic books, a lot of Marvel movies, DC movies, a lot of supernatural stuff. And you can find us everywhere at Hops Geek News. And if you're familiar with Matt on this show, I'm the other half of that podcast. And we're usually drinking a good beer Absolutely. while we do it. Which this is not beer. This is water. Okay. Stay hydrated. Yeah. Still crushing it, though. Absolutely. If, you, if you're not subscribed to everything the Hops Geeks News, what are you waiting for? Click on that QR code and make that happen. Tom, you know the drill. You can find me right here on the Nerd Initiative every Tuesday night, relatively. Uh, right here at uh, Turn the Page. You'll also see all those fantastic reviews and everything I got going on. Click that QR code. You can actually get a sneak peek behind the, the curtain as myself because my IG's on there. So you can see I just celebrated my uh, last rotation around the sun where I got to play uh, as a child again with a beautiful childlike innocence. Uh, and it, it's just wonderful. You know, just just be part of the show. Absolutely. And for anything going on with me, it's very simple. odpagepodcast.com or click on the QR codes. We do like that QR code. But I would be reminisced if we did not play one certain QR code because it is the holiday season. And what better gift to give to your loved ones, to give to your friend, than Nerd Initiative merchandise. That's right. Shameless plug. Support the brand wherever you are at. Nothing is better this holiday season than seeing that beautiful logo somewhere in your home decor, on your clothing, wherever you travel to, it is definitely out there because we want to make sure that you are spreading the word of pop culture positivity. And don't forget, if you're cheap, you can also uh, share the love just by taking over every single one of your family members' phones for a second and clicking that subscribe button to the Nerd Initiative if you can't afford all the gear. Oh, that's very simple to do. Because if you want to make sure that you're not missing anything going on, whether it's Hops Geeks News, ODPH, or Off the Cuff Tom, you click on the playlist right here that you're seeing on the screen right now. So you make sure you click that subscribe button, you make sure you hit that bell for notifications, and you tap that like to let everybody at Nerd Initiative higher-ups know that you love seeing the content that you do each and every week because that pushes the algorithm. That makes you say, hey, we want to see more comics content on here. Hey, we want to see something about Supernatural on here. We'd love to see a deep dive. How about some Doctor Who content? Oh, yeah. Ooh, or, or how about even some pro wrestling because that's what started the whole Wrestling Night Live initiative. Wrestling Night Live! Which is on every Thursday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time where Rich and myself talk everything in the land of pro wrestling. And we definitely had a lot of takes this week that made the buzz around the internet, if you will. So imagine what we're going to say this week. Well, that's where you got to subscribe so you don't miss a minute. And you can join in the chat right there and talk everything WWE, AEW, GCW, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and so many more. But that's what you get here at Nerd Initiative, your home for pop culture positivity. That's a lot of acronyms. I thought I it was at an auction you know, for a second. That's what we do. We can do here at 210, 20, 25, 35, 45, 55. But uh, that's what I like to say every time we end the show. Make sure when you're at the comic shops and you have a great issue in your hand and you see somebody struggling to find something to pick up, hand yours off to them. Tell them to turn a page. We'll see you next week. Bye.